1: Hola, amigos. Thank you so much for joining us on Thoughts That Rock, the podcast that is about exchanging two pieces of life-changing advice that we try to squeeze into about half an
2: hour. Yeah, we know how busy you are, and life is just coming at you from every direction. And we know grabbing, you know, those little nuggets of wisdom, really, that could amp up your life. They're hard to come by. Which is why whether you're laying bathroom tile right now or using a shake weight or floating down a river, it doesn't really matter. We just want to be the 30 minutes that you look forward to every week. Just a quick reminder,
1: whatever format you're using to listen to us, whether that's iTunes or Stitcher or VHS, you know, we like to keep it old school around here. We would absolutely love it if you just take a few minutes and let us know how much you love the show. Leave us a rating, leave some comments, just keep us engaged. Uh, You know, it helps us stay in front of the eyes of the people that we want to reach. We appreciate you and love you for your participation. So just let us know. Listen, if there is something that we can do, anything to put you in the mood, you just let us know what that's going to be. And Big Daddy Brandt and Big Daddy
2: Jim will do what we can to bring it home what is that brand what is that playing in the background oh you know what sound that is what time is it It's business time. it's business time
1: our guest today i have to tell you i'm gonna fanboy here for just a minute <laughs> our guest today is laura gassner and i have to tell you that um We've never been able to meet in person, but I have social media stalked her for quite a long time, <laughs> and uh, and I could not be more excited to have her on the show. Laura, welcome to Thoughts That Rock.
0: Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you. I feel the same way.
1: You know, I have to tell you, so... You know, following you on social media, I love it because you're you're just raw. You show the the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. So you see her on once on on one uh, particular post, she's in front of three thousand people, about ready to yep. give a talk, and in the next post, she's sweating bullets after running you know a hundred sets of <laughs> stairs in the in the stadium by her house, and it's just like, are you kidding me right now? She's got it all. Um, when you start to dig into her background, is where you and I are going to feel. Very unaccomplished at our age because
3: we're, we're
1: we're similar in age to Laura, but she's really pissing me off with how much she's accomplished in her life. Because uh, let's see here, um, she was a presidential appointee in uh, in Bill Clinton's White House. Oh, that's uh, all. She helped shape, you know, a little a little organization called AmeriCorps. Um, she uh, was. Got founded her own company, a nonprofit professionals advisory group uh, in 2015. She sold that company to her employees, which I just love um, to pursue really speaking and writing. Uh, She served as Hillary uh, Hillary Clinton's National Finance Committee on that committee, uh, was asked to do a TEDx talk. And all of a sudden she is everywhere. She is on Good morning America. She yeah. is on the Today show. I think if we could show a picture of Elon Musk in the space right now, it would have her picture somewhere on a rocket because her career is exploding. Laura, just it. we have to say you are just crushing it right now and we are so happy for you.
0: Oh, well, thank you. I you know, it, it has been really fun to jump in with both feet to this world of public speaking and authors and to have great guys like you that I'm able to emulate. It's just it's what I love about it is that you guys take the work that you do so seriously, but you don't take yourselves so seriously. And so it's been fun to watch people who are doing really good work, but having a great time at the same time.
2: Honestly, thank you for the compliment, but we still feel very inadequate. Your, be- your <laughs> background.
0: Well, if it makes me feel uh, any better, I dropped out of law school to join the presidential campaign. Loser! Put me in the White House. So, yeah. you know, yeah. I think my parents are probably still disappointed <laughs> in me a little bit.
1: I love I love that. it's. I dropped out of law school not to, you know, follow some boy to France, right. not to do some crazy, to, to join the presidential campaign. Where it's <laughs> well, like,
0: I followed a boy into the presidential campaign office, and uh, that's where uh, I discovered uh, Okay.
1: All right. All right. So, see, for me, it was like, Mom, Dad, I know you really want a lot for me, but I'm going to be in a band. Um, and that, that didn't go over quite as well as I'm sure your presidential campaign, talk did. But you know well, what? my
0: father's a pretty big Republican, so it didn't go over. <laughs> I, like, wow. oh, wow. I, like, I will say if I, I have been trying for my 45th birthday, I asked for a set of drums. And I, I, I will say that it's probably pretty good that the drums are in the basement where no one can hear them because <laughs> it is. Ugly. If you ever want to feel accomplished, just come hang out next to me while I attempt to very badly play drums, and you will feel like a million bucks.
1: Well, listen, I know again through some of my stalking that that your husband is a bass player, and yes. I have to tell you, you are such the good wife. She's fly- she like flying back on time to try to get to her husband's gig, and like. As a musician, we know Jim. Yeah, you know that sort of support from your partner is uh, is the only way that it works. And so, good on you for for it just support. brings him
0: such joy. Yeah, it's such a delight to see it.
1: That's awesome. I think it's completely awesome. Well, we do things a little bit differently here. We like to try to jump right to the meat and potatoes uh, rather than beat around the bush. So, we want to give you the floor. What is your thought that rocks?
0: That rock, number one. so my thought that rocks is the hardest and also best piece of both professional and personal advice i've ever got in my life and it is this and whether you are a janitor whether you were ceo of a fortune 500 company whether you're a stay-at-home parent it applies to you here is the advice you're just not that important
1: <laughs> Ouch! I love it. I love it.
0: It's really hard advice, right? You're just not that important. And at the time I got this advice, I was building my business, right? My my search firm had been about five years old. I was building my family, so my kids were 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 three and five years old each. I was building my community. I was sitting on multiple boards, um, and at all times, I was trying to be all things to all people. And I really felt pretty important to all these parts of my life. And I sat down uh, with a woman who uh, had been a pretty big deal in business. And she looked at me and she's like, "I, I, I don't get it. Like, you've got a happy marriage, you've got a successful business, you've got healthy kids, what's the problem? And I said, I don't know. I just like I I yell at my kids too much. I just feel stressed sometimes. It's like I I, I should be happier, right? Like I'm super successful and I should be happier. And she looked at me and she, 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 she asked me to describe my day. And I described how I went through trying to be everything to everyone at all times. And she was like, I don't get it you're just not that important. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you mean? And she said, if you're trying to be all things to all people at all times, as you know, right, you're not enough to anybody. Yeah. And so I, I, she, she helped me to realize that by trying to do everything, I wasn't really doing I, I was, I was underserving everybody that I wanted to serve and everything I wanted to serve. But the problem is that I love to say yes. Like yeah. I am the kind of person who believes that there's an adventure around every corner if you just look hard enough. And so I went on the internet and I like researched how do you say no to things and everything I found was like why you should say no to things like more me time and better wine and bubblier baths and 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 you know, things about maybe like how to say no, like demur, deflect, ignore, forget your free and get the email, <laughs> you know, all those things. But nothing actually told me what to say no to. And even better, nothing told me what to say yes to. And so I really had to come up with like questions that I asked myself to help me figure out, well, where am I that important? And where do I need to actually say yes to things? Because that made the saying no actually guilt-free.
1: Wow. Well, what were the questions that you came up with?
0: So the first question I asked myself, and it is, ridiculously Machiavellian. I'm just going to, like, put it out there. It is brazen, and it is narcissistic, and it is selfish. But, you know, you got to start somewhere, right? right? So, like, all charity begins at home. You're
1: speaking our um, language. Yes, go <laughs> ahead. Yeah, so I
0: ask myself, can I see myself on the other side of this project, this promotion, this bake sale chairmanship of a sucker punch ask, like whatever the thing is that I'm being asked about, can I see myself on the other side of it being any closer to achieving my personal set of well-articulated personal and professional goals that, of course, we all have? Right? Right. Can I see myself any closer to reaching them? Do I understand what resources I'm going to get? Do I understand you know, their, their value, whether current or future? Do I want more of the money, power, elevation? Or whatever, you know, I'm going to get from it. Can I see myself getting those things by saying yes to this? Okay. So that's the first question. And it's pretty, pretty easy question to answer. Sure. The second question is, will doing this thing help someone else? So mm-hmm. some requests pay nothing more than just like karmic reward and – I'll actually say yes to those any day of the week if I can, because I think in saying yes to some of those things, we get introduced to new people, we get introduced to new, you know, to new friends, we get introduced to new network, to new knowledge, to new resources. And I think saying yes to those things, if you have time, you know, that's like the universe paying you back for saying for saying yes to something. Just sure. and or someone who may never be able to pay you back. So that's the second. The third is I just go straight to my inner Marie Kondo, and I say, will doing this thing cause me joy? Yeah. So if it's not going to help me, and it's not going to help someone else, but I'm just going to have so much fun, and it's going to be awesome, yeah, like, you know, why not? Like, you figure the rest out later. Right. And then the fourth, and I think this is the most important question of all, is can, or better yet, should someone else do it? So... I've spent 20 years as a headhunter. I I spent my time resource, researching and finding and stalking the best and most important and most qualified person for the job I was trying to fill. A lot of times we get asked to do something because we are the closest proximate heartbeat. Yeah. Like we run to somebody in the grocery store and they ask us to, you know – help them out with something, you know, pick up their packages. We, we, we run into the chairman of the PTA coming out of uh, school and she's like, oh, the head of the, the, you know, the bake sale just, you know, had a family emergency. Can you chair it? By the way, it's tomorrow and everything has to be gluten-free. Or somebody runs by our office and is like, can I pick your brain? You got a minute. Can I just steal all your thunder and your, your creativity and your energy on your task at hand and put it on mine? We're the closest proximate heartbeat, and we don't stop to say, you know, it would be great if I could help you, but actually, I'm not the right person, and here's a list of five other people. So number one, will doing this help me? Yep. Number two, will doing it help someone else? Right. Number three, will it bring me joy? Yep. Or number four, can or should someone else do it? And if you go through those questions, it's actually a pretty amazing way to know exactly what you should say yes to so that when you say no... You're no longer feeling crappy about it because it turns out they're going to find someone else because <laughs> you're just not that important.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think it's perfect, right? Because it really leads—if you can answer those questions honestly—then it it leads to what you talk about in your book, which is really this this feeling of consonants, right? And and once you get to this point, and I le- you, you basically describe consonance as. Uh, a sense of frictionless belonging, which which I love uh, that that description, and you break it into four different areas of of what consonants actually is made up of, which is calling, connection, contribution, and control. And at, I know for Jim and I, in our lives, those are four things that are incredibly important to us. Um, we have to feel like we are doing what we were called to do, right? That sense of purpose is really a huge driver. Um, but in your, in your second question here of, will somebody, well, is this going to help somebody else? That's really for us that, that sense of connection, right? We want to, to help others. We want to have that servant's heart. We want to make sure that we're doing whatever we can to help others reach their goals beyond what we want to reach for ourselves. Um, that comes to that contribution piece, right? What is it that you bring to the table if you're not the right person to make the gluten-free you know, saline-washed cupcakes for the troop? Who, who is? Um, what is your contribution? Just because you're not doing what was asked doesn't mean you can't make a contribution of some kind that actually puts them on the right path and saves you the time and effort that you might have tried to do something that you weren't the person uh, for the job. And then finally, that control as a absolute control freak of every kind. If you let me let me say this to you, Laura, if you invited me out to dinner and and You were driving. I'm the type of person that would like, look at you, like, give me your keys. That's the, that's the level of control I want. I want to be driving the car, even though I have no idea where I am or where we're going. (laughs) But that is the level of control that I've struggled with my whole life. And, and I think that asking yourself these questions really help sort of bring those things into alignment and let go of the stuff that might take you off course.
0: Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I'm and, and I salute the control freak in me. Salutes the control freak in you. I'm just, I, I am a thousand percent uh, a, a control freak. I ran into an old boss one day uh, after I started my company, and he was like, "So did you always know you were an entrepreneur?" And I said, "No." And he goes, "I did." And I thought to myself, "Wow, that's cool." And then I realized, "Oh, I was probably just unmanageable because I was such a control freak." Um, but, but I, you know, I believe that that we are not solving big problems, often because we're asking ourselves the wrong questions, right? We see this big problem, we go, oh my God, how can I help? And we jump right in and we, we, we just start sort of mucking around before we really understand the entirety of what the problem calls for as a solution. And if we stopped and asked ourselves rather than how can I help, but what needs to happen, yeah. we could actually – talk to the people involved in the problem about what they really need and what's going to help them move the ball forward. And that's when we can say, well, am I really the right person or is what you need from me my network so I can introduce you to other people or my resources? I can give you some money and get the hell out of the way or my knowledge. I can help you move the ball down the road a little bit um, or down the field a little bit. But I, I don't necessarily need to go off of my own path and now jump on your path because that's just a distraction from where I can be my very best. You know, we have this question of purpose, right? And right. I love that you talk about how, how, how both of you are doing work that fills your purpose because we have – I think a lot of people think, well, I don't have a purpose because purpose of for those other people that are doing nonprofit work and they're serving the poor and feeding the hungry, and that's great. I spent 20 years helping people do that kind yeah. of work, and I believe wholeheartedly in it. But purpose doesn't have to be lofty purpose or higher purpose or this idea that service is only service if it includes sacrifice the fact that the fact that the work that you do has purpose because you're helping other people to do Better work within their purpose, I think, is some of the noblest purpose of all. And I think a lot of that, a lot of times it comes down to making sure you're doing the work that's right for you. So, consonance is really like it's this idea that the very best of what you can do is being called upon to solve the problem at hand that is something that you care about. And you're being rewarded for it financially and karmically in a way that makes the most sense and feels the best for you. And I have people say to me, like, well, It feels really ambitious. You know, it feels like, am I allowed to be that ambitious, that, you know, that, 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 you know, self centered? And I was like, well, if being that ambitious, like if having more money, resources, time, network, whatever it is, allows you to show up better for the people you love and the causes you hold dear, then I don't think it's our ambition. I think it's our responsibility. And I do think it's the greatest way of all to find why you're really here on earth. Like, we all get this one big, juicy life. Like, don't you want to do the thing you were. Push her to do? Yeah, and I, I couldn't agree with
1: you more. So, you know, for me in in my talks, uh, you know, purpose is is my jam, right? And so, when when we talk about purpose, the big thing that I try to get people to understand first is that we don't find our purpose. It's one of the biggest lies I think um, that we've ever been told, and, and yeah. people people think that. They've got to go on this Indiana Jones-like quest or, or sit in some peyote-filled tent at 120 mm-hmm. degrees until some mirage appears and and there's their purpose. And, and the reality is we choose our purpose. And you can't choose your purpose until you define those core values, until you define your non-negotiables. Because for me, what our purpose is actually is, is the activation of those core values. That is, is why we feel fulfilled. That is when we feel like we are working in alignment with our purpose because we are activating the things that we hold most dear to us. And the hardest part, I think, is getting people to understand that it's really not that hard, but you've got to do a little bit of work to figure out what matters to you. Otherwise, you're going to chase your tail. You know, I, I think I was in early 40s before I figured out what the hell I wanted to do with my life. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that only came from sitting down and defining here are the four or five or six things that I, are really in a hierarchical way, the most important things in my life. And if I can honor these things, then I'm going to feel good no matter the result, no matter the outcome. And I think that's the thing that drives people away is they put so much pressure on the outcome. And when they need to realize is that we don't really control the outcome. We can only control the deliberate intention that goes into the decisions that we make. And that comes to living in consonance. That comes to having enough humility to say, I'm not that important. You know, I, my first Gosh, my first 10 years in in corporate America, I thought I was it, right? Mm -hmm. I worked in the commercial collections field. So so think of the joy that that would bring people of coming in every day, listening to, you know, people beg for money and I can't pay this and I can't pay that. Now, you know, for me, the way that I climbed the ranks faster than anyone else, and this is the absolute, we're going to flip the show. What's the worst advice (laughs) I could ever give anybody, Jim? This is it. My philosophy was this agree ignore and carry on that's how i rose up the ranks mm. people would say hey this is i think we need to do this i'd go okay yep completely ignore that and do whatever the hell i wanted to do yeah and that took me to the number 2 in the company but i would have never gotten any farther than that never because it was the wrong approach it was awful an awful philosophy because I never allowed anybody else in. And I always thought that I had to be involved. And if I wasn't involved, nothing would get done. And that's really where the danger comes in, Laura. Right.
0: That's, ab- that's absolutely right. And I think, you know, I, I love this notion that you have to choose your, your purpose. A- and I would say within your purpose, I think you have to also choose what's your lever, right? So yeah. if, if, If if you if you want if what you care about is raising your family, right, Mm -hmm. being present for the Boy Scout troop or being you know part of the community uh, park cleanup or whatever it is that you care about, you know having you know taking care of your aging parents and your young children or whatever it is, and you're okay working a soul sucking job because it gives you the flexibility that you can clock in at nine and clock out at five and just always be present for your family. Then I think that's an awesome purpose, right? Right. Like your purpose doesn't just have to come from work. And if it comes from work, say you want to cure cancer. Who's to say that the guy who um, works a job where he, you know, trades bonds at a hedge fund all day long to make tons of money that he could donate millions to a cancer research organization is any less of a good guy than the one who's actually working at the Right. American Cancer Society. Right. Like, I, I think that we have to define our purpose really holistically. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, it's work. It's not work-life balance. It's got to be work-life alignment. So, you know, your story of, of agree, ignore and, 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 and move forward. I mean, it's, it's you can see how that would work. And in the in the work force, up to a certain point, and then also eat you alive. That's right. If you know what you care about is actually human beings, so right. you know it's that's not that, that might be work like balance. You could leave it all at work, but boy, at the end of the day, you're not in the line spirit at all. No, yeah. and I
1: was miserable. I, I was miserable making ridiculous money. And you get trapped in that lifestyle and you get trapped in the, I can only do this or I can only do that and make this level of income because that's the level I'm now living at. Instead of being smart, I was a young, stupid, you know, executive. And, and for me, it just became this, I had to get out. Right. I, and I had to find something else to do that was going to bring me that joy, uh, that I wish I would have asked myself that third question because it would have saved me some (laughs) years of heartache. Yeah. Where was the book then?
0: yeah and you know and it and and you also then get surrounded by those people right so you know one of the things that i talk about in the book And it's not just what's going to bring you confidence today, it's what's going to bring you confidence in five years, in 10 years, in 15 years, because at every age and at every life stage, we want different things. So, you know, the young me who dropped out of law school at 21 years old and went to that presidential campaign was so happy eating ramen soup and being paid in all the idealism I could eat and living in, you know, living in in basement floors on, you know, couch surfing the 48-year-old me kind of a princess. I <laughs> don't really want that anymore. Um, and I would much rather work a job where I'm making lots of money and I can donate to campaigns that I care about and go to the VIP rooms. I mean, I, you know, I, yes. I make no bones about it. And, you know, when I started my company, we worked in the nonprofit sector, but it was a for-profit company. Sure, like if we were doing the work for Coca-Cola and Hilton Hotel Chains, we could have made a whole lot more money, but we made enough money, right? And there's just like – Need to make number, which is the like pay your mortgage, yep. put money away for retirement, kids' college, all that stuff. And then there's the want to make number. And there's yeah. a lot of distance between them. And your need to make number might be like going on vacations at the Motel 6. Mine's like going on vacations at the Marriott. But then there's all the way to <laughs> the want to make number, which is like Necker Island with Richard Branson. Right? Like, right. I'm clearly nowhere near that. <laughs> However, there's a lot of space in between that. And you can sacrifice some of it to have a little more of others. But when I started my company, I was very clear that I still wanted to do good in the world, but I also was a princess. Yes, (laughs) I wanted to, you know, I did, I wanted to serve, but I didn't want the service to only mean sacrifice. That's right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, when I'm, I'm looking at your book actually right now, and it's the type of book I love, it's, it's thin, it's got nice big letters. If it had pictures, it would probably help me out a little (laughs) bit more. (laughs) I love it. It's such a great, easy read. And I think even these, you know, the, your four questions, this sort of litmus test that, that you sort of ask yourself, I think people could learn so much from to help them find their purpose or or come to the realization, like you said, that you're just not that important. And I know in my previous life, you know, back in the early 90s, I taught time management. You know, you were teaching people that this was uh, Franklin Planners is what the, the organization at that time they were teaching you how to prioritize your schedule, right? You would write everything down that you were going to do. And then you put A's, B's and C's and only work on the A's first. And, you know, it was very task oriented. And then comes Stephen Covey with the seven habits. And these guys were completely different. And these two companies merged. I'm sure most people probably know Franklin Covey, that's, that's sort of that hybrid um, brand. They were all about the exact opposite. They were saying, let's schedule your priorities. And so it was a different mindset where, un- unlike, you know, the, the opposite of consonance, I think, is dissonance, right? These two companies coming together had a lot of conflict, trying to take two different mindsets, but ultimately having to take the bigger road, not just the you're just not that important, it was it's not that important. And you get to the point where instead of trying to focus on the task, you just focus on the two or three things that you really want to spend time. That'll bring you joy. That'll help focus on your purpose. That'll identify with your values. So, you know, I'm looking at your book limitless and thinking, boy, there's a lot of meatiness in this thing where people could in a very quick read, get a lot of stickiness to say, how can I get back on track with my values? So kudos the the book. It's fantastic.
0: Well, thank you. Well, the whole audio book is about four and a half hours, so it is, I can assure you, a pretty quick read. But here's the thing about, about being not that important. There are people and there are causes and there are staff members and there are community um, uh, organizations and there are departments and projects where we are that important, right? And so the whole idea of you're just not that important, while it was a huge ego check for my huge ego, (laughs) it also reminded me that, you know, I better figure out how to double down for the people where I am that important. And I think the story about Franklin Covey's merger is amazing because there were probably, I'm sure there must've been so much noise Can you imagine? that wasn't that important. And the reason that they were able to make it through and thrive is because they figured out what was that important and they focused like crazy they on did. that. They
3: well, did.
1: I think it's one of the challenges too, right? And, and Laura, I mean, I'd love to know what you think about this because it's one thing for you to recognize that you're not that important but sometimes it's your staff it's your team it's whoever it is that feels like nothing can get done unless you're involved that if it comes from those that you are trying to lead it's it's just as important to get them to understand that you don't have to be involved in everything to to take things and move them forward right
0: yes and i think one of the worst things a leader can do is solve all the problems Mm. (laughs) i think it's actually really terrible because you're a you're you you are becoming the sun in the solar system right and god forbid you're not there it's lights out so i think that's just not a long-term viability option um number two i think you're not helping to grow your team's muscles about solving yeah. problems on their own and thinking independently. And see, I think you're squashing so much creativity because if there's anything that I know, it's that if I'm the smartest person in the room, I'm in the wrong room. Yeah. So yes. I want to make sure that everybody, I mean I don't want group think and analysis paralysis or you know, writing by committee or any of those things, but we should have conversation. I think one of the biggest problems with leaders is that the higher we get in leadership ranks the more we're expected to talk. You know, you go into a meeting and everybody sits at the table and they look at the leader and they wait for the leader to talk. And the leader does so much talking that they don't have a chance to do enough listening. And so when I coach executives... They always have this problem, especially entrepreneurs who are like, I built this company, it was really great, and now I feel trapped by it, and I can't do all the fun, creative, interesting, entrepreneurial things, which was the reason why I wanted to start the company because I'm so busy solving all the drudgery problems. (laughs) And so I say, what if you stopped doing that? What if somebody came into your office and you said, well, what would you do? what do you think we should do? Why don't you give me a few ideas here or send them away and say, I would love to hear your ideas about that at three o'clock and just let them go. Unless the sky is going to fall, unless you're going to lose your biggest client. The truth is that people are not freaking out about it as much as you might be in this moment. And I think we create a lot of false, um, we create a lot of false timelines for us. You know, I used to sit in, pitches, uh, to clients. And I would say, Oh, that'd be great. We'll get your proposal this afternoon. And then one day I was like, I can't do that. And I'm like, yeah, that'd be great. We'll get your proposal tomorrow morning. And they were like, okay. And then the next one, I'm like, we'll get your proposal this week. <laughs> they were like, fine. <laughs> and, but I was creating so much more stress because yeah. I thought that we had to be so fast. And the truth is they had other things to worry about because oh, we're, we're, we're not that important. <laughs>
2: yeah. Such yeah. a great point. And, th- and this is probably a perfect segue, too, because I think we're going to be hopefully in consonance uh, with your thoughts. So this, this is our opportunity to sort of throw it over, Brandt. What do you think is our second thought that rocks today?
3: Thoughts that rock number two.
2: Well, I love this. Uh, our, our thought
1: that rocks is this. Being pulled towards your values will be pushing your hardest every time. And the backstory for that sort of comes from a lot of the research that that um, I did when when I wrote the book, uh, "Rock and Roll with It: Overcoming the Challenge of Change." And what we found, as we sort of dug into that myself and Jim Trick, the the co-author, was that you know our core values for the most part are developed over the course of our lives, and and they rarely change outside of some catastrophic life event. Now these are core values. These aren't aspirational values. These aren't who we want to be. This is who we are in the moment right now, who we are. And discovering those things really allows us to use them as an accountability tool to really stay committed towards our goals. And it's really the only way we can live our lives on purpose, not with purpose, but on purpose with deliberate intention. And I think that that's what's missing, uh, at least in my in my perception anyways is that People feel like they're being intentional with their lives. And I believe they are, they know the direction of which they want to go, but they're not using deliberate intention with their actions. And that's where we start to, to fall away. And, and if we can put our values up at a a point that says, here are our non-negotiables. These are the things that no matter how great a case you're going to make to me, I'm not going to be swayed. Here are my non-negotiables and allow those things to pull us towards them. That's so, Much better than trying to push forward with everything that's important. If it's just important, and, and I know we all have people in our lives, and I was one of them for many, many years, I had 50 things that were super important to me, and if I tried to push all 50 of those things forward, I failed every single time because it was impossible. It was an uphill battle. Instead of saying, here are the four or five or six things that are my non-negotiables, and I'm going to let myself be pulled towards those things, gosh, the stress went away. The the weight that I was carrying, that that baggage both... Emotional and and results oriented and all those sorts of things sort of fell by the wayside when I said I'm just going to let these things sort of pull me towards them instead of me trying to force everything that I think is important down someone's throat. What do you what do you feel about that thought, Laura?
0: Yeah, I mean I love that thought, and I, I think the I think I would tell you that the day that I started living my life on purpose was when I asked myself. What does success look like? Like, what would success look like for me in this? thing. And, and I can tell you the day that it happened, because I uh, our company was about four years old, and I had gotten a call from a much bigger company who wanted to buy us out. And I remember going down and sitting in the office, big, beautiful downtown office, and, you know, as we mentioned, I do a lot of Democratic fundraising. I'm looking at this sort of old guy's, old white guy's office, and there's lots of pictures of him with lots of former Republican presidents and little, like, stuffed elephants, and he was like clearly a party guy. And he slides across the table, like, you know, in the movies, like, here's our offer, (laughs) the paper, and it was a glass coffee table, and I I take the paper, and I look through the, I look through the glass, and I look at my legs, and I'm wearing pantyhose, (laughs) and I remember thinking to myself, I'm wearing pantyhose to sell out to some old, stale, pale, male, Republican, you know, like, like corporate apparatusnik. Like, what am I doing? And I just took the paper and I slid it back. And I said, you know, I'm going to do this on my own. And he's like, you don't even want to know what the number is? And I said, I don't want to know what the number is. And I walked out of that office because I realized success to me wasn't making all the money. It wasn't the fastest and most expedient path to the corner office. It was figuring out how to do the work that I thought was good at the, at the values and with the quality that, that made sense to me. And I think I never – I haven't heard it described in the way that you just described it, but as you're describing that, I was, memories of that day were sort of flooding back to me. And I was like, that <laughs> nice. was it. That was the Rubicon moment.
2: If it makes you feel any better, Brant and I are both wearing pantyhose right now. <laughs> so
0: <laughs> I knew we should have done this in person. <laughs> so uncomfortable. You know,
2: that's, we wear it on our
1: face because typically we rob banks <laughs> when we are not doing the, the podcast. But the <laughs> the idea here for me is, is sort of this... This tug of war that happens right between what's really important to us and what truly our non-negotiables are and i think that's a complex conversation it's a giant ball of yarn and when you pull it 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 just gets unraveled and and worse right and so for some of us doing that work to really get down to those non-negotiables is hard it's hard number one um, but incredibly worth it so that you are able to make decisions on purpose with deliberate intention. I know that I love in your book, you say one of the, the worst pieces of advice you could give to anyone is following your passion. And, yeah. and I love that. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I think that this sort of the, the younger generation um, are, are, pass- are their passionate generation. But when you push them on what they're passionate about, um, they hem and haw and they, they stutter a little bit because they haven't really figured that out yet. And I think that's that's a it's a bridge that needs to be crossed.
0: Yeah, I think they haven't figured it out yet, in the way that none of us had figured out either when we were that exactly. age. But I also think they haven't figured it out because. Because we're the jokers who haven't given them the right framework to be able to have the conversation. True. So when I talk to young people today about what they care about, they think they're supposed to care about getting ahead, getting the degrees, getting the job, getting the house, you know, getting the spouse, all that stuff that they're supposed to be doing on a timeline. And what they really care about are different things. Like they actually – they're terrified about the environment, right? They care about global warming. They want to um, have actual connections with community that's beyond just social media, even though we blame them for all the social media stuff. And so when, when I talk to them about this framework of consonants, they say – Oh, that makes so much sense because now I can have a conversation in language that I understand that's more values driven. It isn't just about what's the mission of the company? Is the leadership inspirational? How many skills will I learn? Where's what's this company gonna look like on my resume? How much money am I gonna make? What are the benefits? All those old check marks, right? The whole old scorecard that we were given in college and in high school when we were told how do you rate the trade, the, the college, the career. And When I talk to managers, I was like, well, you know, I just like I look across the yawning chasm of the of the annual review. And I just I know that there's more in that person. I just don't know how to get it out of them. And and they clearly don't care about, you know, I don't know how to incentivize and they don't care about it. I'm like, well, of course they don't, because you're having a conversation with them in like ancient Egyptian. (laughs) They're speaking a language that they're inventing right now It's you know, on the fly. So I think it's a combination that they're still figuring out who they are and what they care about and also we think that they don't care about stuff because they don't care about the stuff we care about.
2: Right. Hey, you know what? I'm uh, to be vulnerable here for a moment. I think I fall into the same trap even at my age. You know, I I know that a couple of years ago, I got into a lot of businesses that I one I didn't have a lot of control or a lot of expertise and I thought, you know, this is what entrepreneurs do. They invest in things and probably shouldn't have been in almost any of them. But once I exited out of those, and sort of cleared the deck, and focused only on those things that I really did love. I did have some strength. I did have control over. Boy, did that just make my life better? I, you know, I just I, I want to learn from other people. I love surrounding myself with people that are smarter than I am in, in whatever area. And I've actually been going on this thing I call the uh the influencer tour. You know, every couple of months I'll go and hang out with somebody. Some of them I know. Some of them I don't. I just. I make the invite. I'm looking to spend a half a day with you, and you know what? Can I learn from you? And and hopefully that's that's a painless you know experience on their end. But boy, do I feel so much more fulfilled and happier and and positively challenged because it it aligns once again with my values. And I do feel like you know one to your thought brand that we're talking about. I'm I'm pulled more toward my values. But to tie it back into Laura's. You know, I I feel like I am important, whereas before here I am just trying to make a little bit of scratch. And really, I wasn't doing anything but what I thought other people wanted me to do and expected me to do. And now I'm happier. So hopefully I'm back on the straight and narrow of my own passion, my own purpose, my own values. But it does take a little humility and, and a little bit to step back and go what am I doing? I mean, I probably could have used your four questions like a decade ago, but this is uh, this is great now. And, and your book is, is perfectly aligned to do that for others.
0: Well, people ask me why I wrote the book, and I was like, because I, <laughs> I needed the book, and it didn't exist. You know, when I sold my company, I sold it because I hadn't learned anything new in a while. Like, we were at the 10-year mark, and I realized in five years, it'll be 15 years old. I'll have been doing this work for 20 years. I'll be 45. They seem like good numbers, right? Like, it's <laughs> it's time. I grew the company 100% every year for 10 years and it was very clear that I was not going to be able to keep that up and that the people who were amazing who worked for me and worked with me to build the company really wanted to take the engine out on the road and just see how fast they could drive it. And My core values are learning and innovation and adventure. Like These are the things that drive me, and I knew that I wasn't going to have that. And so when I sold the company, I did the same thing you did, which is I got involved in a whole bunch of stuff I shouldn't get involved in because I was just so interested in all these new things. And I also had a little bit of a crisis of identity where I was no longer Laura gassner CEO of this big company. And I really thought the phone was gonna ring a lot and it didn't ring as much as I wanted. And when it yeah. did, I was like, okay, I'll join your merry band of whatever, even though I have no idea what's going on and really you just want my investment money and not my mind share or whatever the thing might be. And and I realized, you know, six weeks into it, I was like, I'm not actually learning things in this. I'm just learning that I'm not in the right stuff. And it took me six months to, like, unravel myself out of some of those things at the yeah. same time. So, you know, it's, it's, I think that we think that our core values have to be – assigned to the work that we're doing or the title that we have or the degree that we have and sometimes I think they're personality traits and I love that you know you talk about like who you are in your core it's like part of like we are forged as human beings I think we come out of the womb like 80% there like I look at my two kids and they couldn't be any more different if you want to have nature versus nurture arguments like (laughs) look at my two children um and and which gives me by the way great relief that I can kind of only screw them up on like five percent on (laughs) either and although I'm working hard
1: that's right. <laughs> that, As you should. Um, but
0: I, you know, I, I, this this idea of you know there are people who are control freaks. There are people who like to be you know completely taken care of. Like we're all different people, and I think that it's such a it's so wonderful that we can form professional identities that can comport to the, the, the phases that we go through. Yeah. throughout our lives, but we it starts with figuring out purpose and your core values because that really does push you to have your heart in the right place. And I think when your heart's in the right place, that's that frictionless belonging. You know, you're yeah. unstoppable. You're limitless. It's, it's, it's such a, it's such a gift to be able to discover that and give that to yourself and all the people around you as well.
1: Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. You know, the, the, the sort of thing that really transformed me when it came to the way that I think about core values was reading an article years and years ago about an ancient uh, Japanese philosophy called Kinsuni, um, which I don't know if you're familiar with, but it's it's an, it, Kinsuni is a way of fixing broken pottery. And the legend has it that many, 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 many centuries ago, there was a Japanese shogun whose favorite vase got broken, and he sent it out to be repaired. And what he found was that all of the experts that he sent it to Couldn't actually put it back together. And so he took all the broken pieces back and he gave it to some local artisans and he said, Listen, I don't care what you have to do. This is my favorite vase. I would love it if you would fix it. Come up with a solution. So, what they did, rather than try to put it together perfectly so that you could never tell that it had been broken, they went out and found the most valuable thing they could at the time, which was gold. And they melted the gold down and they used the gold to repair the vase so that you could actually see all of the cracks, all of the brokenness and in effect, making it more valuable than before it was broken because now it is lined with gold. And when I started to look at that and understand that for me, philosophically, we're all broken people. We are all broken people. The question is what is holding your brokenness together? And the answer for me is our values. Our values are that golden repair, which is what consuming means. It is the most valuable thing that we possess is our core values. And when we allow them not only to hold our brokenness together, but to be illuminated, to be seen so that others can look at us and know what matters to us man, does that allow us to come into alignment with why we're here and what we're supposed to be doing?
0: Yep. Wow. That's such, that's such a beautiful parable. I, I um, used to be a huge fan of the band Poy Dog Pondering. I don't know if you guys know them, but um, they used to, they used to tour all the time and there'd be like 17 of them packed into this teeny little stage. And, um, there's a song that starts off. You should wear with pride the stars on your skin. They're a map of the adventures and the places you've been. Mm-hmm. And I've always taken that uh, and and thought that, you know, we had that ten year challenge, you know, a few months ago on Facebook. And I was like, that's just that's like horseshit, right? Yeah. Like I'm actually yes. proud that I look older now than ten years ago because in the wrinkles, in the scars, in the you know, in 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 the in the the. You know, the sunspots and all of those things that I have are stories, right? They're adventures. They're, are, they're manifestations of my values, my core values in the world. And, and um, boy, it would be great to think that they're lined with gold. Right. <laughs> I think that's just so fantastic.
1: Well, unfortunately, uh, Jim's now going to have to return that clay mask that he just bought <laughs> off of Amazon. Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I
3: am. <laughs> I'm going I mean,
0: You know, I'm okay aging gracefully. <laughs> yes. Am I aging not so gracefully? I'm having a little trouble with, I have to admit, but I, I do believe that we really are, we are the sum of all of our parts, yes. and some of those parts are good, and some of those parts are, are war-torn, but they do make us better. I mean, you know, there's a big difference between smart smarts and wisdom, and I somebody was asking me to describe sort of what I like to, you know, how I like to approach putting together a talk that I give on stage. And I said, you know, there's, there's like the wall of smarts where you get up there and you just tell somebody every single thing, you know, and they're like, Oh yeah, she's right. That's like, that's really great. And that's awesome. And I know a lot more now she's right. I could never do it, but she's right. And then there's framework, right? Like Albert Einstein said that all, all knowledge is experience. And I believe that, but I think of all knowledge is experience then I believe that all wisdom is framework. And so when I get on stage, like in the book, I write it so people can take it and it's actionable and they can see themselves in it and they go, oh, that's right. Like, yeah. This is what Michael, Mike, uh, Michael Port says. You know, The difference between she's right and that's right is huge. And for me, that's the difference between smart and wisdom. And I think that's the difference between the perfectly beautiful vase and the one that's coated in gold. That's right.
2: You guys did it! You created a podcast for obscure bands and Japanese pottery. I can't believe it. We,
0: <laughs> we brought it home.
2: We brought it home.
0: If you have intro and outro music, I hope you play that Poy Dog Pondering song. <laughs> oh, I'll
2: tell you, I'm looking them up right now. Right now, um, you know. First off, Laura, thank you so much for for being on the show. And I know your your book is just crushing it, and and all of your appearances and what you're getting right now, everything that you're doing, you deserve it. it it's fantastic. What, um, real quick, you know, one, how can people stay connected to you and what are you working on? What's next for you?
0: So as you know, um, all my good friends call me LGO because Laura Gassner-Odding is a lot of name. Um, so I am at Hey LGO on all the socials and HeyLGO.com is uh, where you can find me online. And the book, of course, is on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Audible, anywhere, iTunes, um, anywhere uh, fine books are sold or heard. And what am I working on right now? I'm riding this wave. I'm having so much fun. And I am dealing with the experience of living in what I'm calling wonder hell, which is (laughs) it's so amazing that anybody wants to spend even five minutes thinking or reading or talking about something that I created. And also, I've never been so exhausted in all my life. It's wonderful and it's hell. It's wonder hell. Brand. That's it. If
2: you don't write a song called Wonder Hell for that, Laura, it, I'm going right? to be very disappointed. That's right. Maybe,
0: <laughs> maybe. <laughs> well, I will tell you, I did buy the URL wonderhell.com. Good for you!
2: <laughs> awesome, awesome. We'll have to.
1: We'll have to uh,
0: but I don't know that I've been able to trademark it yet. So you know, <laughs> write it now while you can.
1: <laughs> we'll have to cop uh, a a little Wonderwall parody yeah. with Wonder Hell. Oh, yes. for sure. You know that's coming.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, I can already hear it. <laughs>
1: We may put it in the background during part of this podcast. That's right. Listen, Laura, thank you so, so much. Um, we are huge fans of yours. Uh, you know that we will be here as your biggest cheerleaders, whatever we can do to to continue to lift you up and allow you to, to accomplish all those things that you are setting out to do. You're such an incredible influence in this world, and um, we need more people just like you. So thank you for giving us a little bit of your time here today on Thoughts That Rock.
0: Oh well, thank you, and this is such fun, and I'm so looking forward to listening to all of your episodes with so many amazing people. So i just, I just feel honored to be part of the coterie of of guests, and also part of the fan club uh, for both of you.
1: Awesome, love you it. rock, rock thank on. You. See you later. Hey rock stars, thanks so much for tuning in.
2: If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to make sure you don't ever miss an episode. And if you're interested in having Brant or me or both of us speak at your event. We're exclusively represented by Kepler Speakers, the industry's leading resource for booking conference keynotes. To start your unforgettable experience, go to keplerspeakers.com. Until next time, rock on!
3: Ever heard of stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of stoicism with a lowercase s and not stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference...